0: Good evening and welcome to our weekly Bible study. Some of you are listening by telephone, some are listening on the internet, and some may be listening to this at a future time by recording. Uh, All of these messages and the notes are available on our website, which is new-life-ministries.org. Thank you. And just follow the prompts there and you should be able to find the messages and the notes. Okay, we want to dive right in here tonight. We're getting close to the end here. And uh, I was in Florida this past weekend and we tried to do sort of a brief synopsis of all that we've been talking about in these studies. I think this is... uh, week number 18, if my counting is correct. And we tried to cram all of this into three services, so obviously we didn't go into the depth that we are uh, each week here. Matter of fact, a few of the folks in Florida may be listening in tonight, I'm not sure. But we've been looking at reasons to believe, and we're in the last section of this whole study, and this is where we're going to be concluding, and we're talking about a very important topic, that of prophecy, and in particular, we're talking about prophecies that have already been fulfilled, fulfilled prophecy, and we've now come to the most important topic of all, and that is messianic prophecy, prophecies in the Old Testament that spoke about a coming Savior, Deliverer, King, Messiah, Anointed One. A lot of different titles were used, but the Jewish people understood there was someone coming that they were hoping and looking for. And we mentioned at the start of this last section that there are over 300 specific Messianic prophecies uh, all of which were clearly understood by the Jewish people in the Old Testament times as being prophecies that would only be fulfilled by this individual known as Messiah. And we are looking at about 60 of those 300 prophecies, all of which were perfectly and exactly fulfilled in the life, in the death, in the burial, and even in the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. And it's, it's nothing short of amazing when you really look at the, the huge volume of evidence. It says in Acts chapter 1 that with many infallible proofs, Jesus showed himself alive to the disciples for forty days and nights after His resurrection. And I'm convinced that God wants to give us proofs that He is alive. He's not asked us to blindly believe in something that has no proof, no evidence. We have creation all around us speaking to us day and night that there is a Creator God. We saw that there is overwhelming historical evidence, over 20,000 handwritten manuscripts of the New Testament so that we are without excuse. We cannot say oh I don't know if... we don't know if the New Testament is reliable, we don't really know if this man Jesus ever lived. Those kind of arguments are absurd. There's overwhelming historical eyewitness documentation that there was a man named Jesus of Nazareth, and the New Testament writers were very careful to document how he fulfilled each and every one of these messianic prophecies. And we have gone through, I think, about, let me see here, well, I couldn't even tell you how many we've already looked at, but we're going to be looking at a total of about 60 of the over 90 Messianic prophecies from the Old Testament that are quoted specifically in the New Testament as being fulfilled by Jesus. And at the expense, perhaps, of overkill Uh, I'm doing this deliberately because I want everyone to see how overwhelming the evidence is. It's not just one or two prophecies that Jesus fulfilled, but 90 specific messianic prophecies are mentioned in the New Testament as proof that Jesus is the Messiah. And we came last time to the most amazing part of this whole section on Christ's fulfillment of these messianic prophecies, and that is that in His final day on this earth, in one 24-hour period, Jesus fulfilled at least 27 different prophecies concerning His betrayal, His suffering, His crucifixion. And we went through quite a number of those already, and we're going to pick it up, if you are following along in the written notes, we are going to pick it up on page 30, and again we're in part 6, Fulfilled Prophecy of Reasons to Believe and we're on page 30 of part 6, and we've come to the 19th prophecy. 19 of 27 different prophecies that Jesus fulfilled in that last 24 hours. And this one you're probably quite familiar with. It was predicted that He would be thirsty. Sounds rather simple, but... We'll see here in just a moment that this was a specific prophecy in one of the messianic psalms that we've been quoting quite a bit, and it leads right into another prophecy, prophecy number 20, that we'll look at together with that one. In Psalm 69, which is very clearly a messianic psalm, we read in verse 21, Psalm 69, verse 21, says they put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. And another Messianic psalm that you should be familiar with now is Psalm 22. We've already quoted from that psalm and we will be again. Psalm 22, verse 15, it says, My strength is dried up like a potsherd. And my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. So, it was predicted that the Messiah would be so thirsty that His tongue would stick to the roof of His mouth. And we learn in John's Gospel, chapter 19 and verse 28. John 19:28. It says later, knowing that all was now completed, and pay close attention to this, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. What an amazing thing. Here he is, he's been whipped, beaten, flogged almost to death. Now he's had the nails driven through his hands and feet. He's about to expire on the cross and yet he is so careful to see that every single prophecy concerning the Messiah is fulfilled. He cries out, I am thirsty and John notes so that the scripture would be fulfilled. And we also read in that same passage in Psalm 69 that they would put gall in his food and give him vinegar for his thirst. They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. If we continue reading now in John 19 from verse 29 we see yet another fulfillment of that prophecy. It says a jar of wine vinegar was there So they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And Matthew also notes this fulfillment of Psalm 69 in his Gospel Matthew 27 and verse 34 it says there they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall but after tasting it he refused to drink it so both the prophecy concerning his thirst and the prophecy concerning both gall and vinegar were all fulfilled on the cross that day. Moving on to prophecy number 21. We're back in Psalm 22, and probably the best known quotation from this messianic psalm is verse 1. Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God... Why have you forsaken me why are you so far from saving me so far from the words of my groaning now the amazing thing about messianic prophecy such as these psalms these were very real cries that the psalmist david was uttering before the lord in his trials and sufferings and tribulations but The Holy Spirit was speaking through him a much larger message that was indeed messianic in nature and would be echoed echoed many centuries later by the Messiah on the cross. And we now come to Matthew 27 and verse 46 says, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, My God, why have you forsaken Me? So even His forsaken cry on the cross was to fulfill prophecy. And moving on to Prophecy number 22 of that final day. We turn to Psalm 31 and verse 5. He committed his spirit to God. We read, Into your hands I commit my spirit. Redeem me, O Lord, the God of truth. And we find over in the New Testament in Luke chapter 23 and verse 46. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. Now, this is very important to note here. Jesus wasn't killed. He laid down his life. Jesus didn't die a normal death. The Messiah, it was predicted, would give up His Spirit, would commit His Spirit into the hands of Almighty God. And that's exactly what Luke bore witness to here. Father, into Your hands I commit My Spirit. Coming to the next one, number 23, this one is of particular interest and that is that none of his bones would be broken and understanding the standard procedure of execution by crucifixion uh, this was a very strange and difficult prophecy to fulfill as we will see they would normally break the bones of the victims to hasten their death and we're told in Psalm 34 verse 20 he protects all his bones not one of them will be broken so very clearly it was predicted that none of the Messiah's bones would be broken in his execution And I want to take a little trip back again to the Old Testament to another passage in Exodus 12 and verse 46 where it gives the law of the Passover lamb. And it reads, Exodus 12 verse 46, It, the Passover lamb, must be eaten inside one house take none of the meat outside the house, do not break any of the bones. So all of the centuries that the Jewish people had been celebrating the annual Passover feast, they had to be very careful when they slaughtered the lamb and ate the meat that none of the bones of that lamb should be broken. So we have these two Old Testament passages that coincide Psalm 34 20 not one of his bones will be broken and the law of the Passover do not break any of the bones and of course we know Jesus fulfilled every detail of the Passover feast the Passover law the Passover celebration and we're told in first Corinthians chapter 5 verse 7 in the New Testament get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast as you really are for Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed so all that was written in the Old Testament about the Passover lamb was perfectly fulfilled in Jesus the true Passover lamb now To John chapter 19, verses 32 to 36. This is a very important point for John here to make that Jesus fulfilled this prediction that none of his bones should be broken. John 19, beginning with verse 32. We'll read down to verse 36. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. Remember, one of the other prophecies is that he would be numbered with the transgressors. He would not be crucified alone, but he would have company. So, the two other criminals that were crucified with Jesus... Both of them had to have their legs broken, but when they came to Jesus, they found that he was already dead. They did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. John here is speaking as an eyewitness. He says, The man who saw this has given testimony, and his testimony is true. Verse 36, These things happened so that the Scripture would be fulfilled And then he quotes, "...not one of his bones will be broken." So, the fact that even down to this detail of his crucifixion, that none of the bones would be broken, is yet another proof that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. And while we're here in John 19... That leads us into the next prophecy that Jesus fulfilled, that His heart would be poured out like water. This is prophecy number 24. And back in Psalm 22 again, our Messianic Psalm, verse 14. It says, I am poured out like water. All of my bones are out of joint, not broken, All of my bones are out of joint, my heart has turned to wax, it has melted away within me. And again, reading John 19 and verse 34, instead of breaking his bones, it says one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water and by the way, it's very likely, I've heard different medical doctors describe um, in rather gory detail the, the physiological and anatomical uh, effects on a human body that would result from death by crucifixion. And it's very likely that literally many of his bones, although they weren't broken, They were pulled out of joint, literally dislocated from the extreme stress and pressure that was being placed on the different joints where the the bones come together. And when the soldier pierced Jesus' side, it says there was a sudden flow of blood and water This is very clear evidence in line with what doctors would predict, that Jesus' heart, his physical heart, literally burst inside of his chest. It just exploded, and so you have blood and water all in the chest cavity that collected there during the hours he was hanging on the cross, and then finally, as the spear is thrust into the side there's this sudden flow of blood and water confirming and fulfilling psalm 22:14 i am poured out like water my heart has turned to wax it has melted away within me and related to that but a separate and different prophecy from Zechariah, and this is now number 25 of 27, that specifically his side would be pierced. The previous one was that his heart would be poured out like water. Zechariah specifically predicted his side would be pierced. And we're reading in Zechariah 12 and verse 10. It says, I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. So it was both predicted that his heart would be poured out and that he would be pierced. And then we see again there in John 19, reading verses 34 to 37. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. These things happened so that the Scripture would be fulfilled, not one of his bones will be broken, and... As another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Notice how repeatedly, especially Matthew and John, are very deliberate in the way they recount uh, their eyewitness testimony and they're showing step by step, this fulfills a scripture, this fulfills Zechariah, This fulfills Psalm 34. They were very careful to show how every detail of Messianic prophecy was fulfilled in Jesus of Nazareth. Okay, on to number 26. It was predicted that darkness would cover the land. In Amos chapter 8 verse 9. In that day, declares the Sovereign Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. That's a pretty hard prophecy to fulfill. You need some kind of a supernatural, uh, astronomical change to make it go dark at noon. But notice Matthew 27 Verse 45. From the sixth hour, now Jewish timekeeping started counting at 6 a.m. So the sixth hour is noon. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, that would be 3 p.m., darkness came over all the land. So, not only does Jesus fulfill the prophecy of darkness coming on the land, he gets it right down to the exact hour. Amos said, I will make the sun go down at noon, not at 1, not at 12, not at 12.30, not at 4.30. The sun will go down at noon. And Matthew is very carefully to note, from noon until 3 p.m., Darkness came over the whole land as Jesus hung there on the cross. Luke confirms the same in his gospel. Luke 23, verses 44 and 45. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour, for the sun stopped shining. Wow. The sun stopped shining. Now with my knowledge of science I'm not sure exactly what God did that day but it was certainly a supernatural event done to fulfill prophecy and to give further proof from heaven that this man Dying in between two criminals on the hill of Calvary is the Son of God. He is the promised Messiah. And finally, we come to the 27th and last of all of the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled in one 24-hour period. Even His burial, the details were predicted in the Old Testament. And we find this one, again, in Isaiah 53, that famous messianic chapter of Isaiah. Isaiah 53, verse 9. It says, He was assigned the grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Now this is a pretty amazing prophecy also, And a very difficult one to fulfill. Because Jesus wasn't rich, and he didn't get along real well with the rich. And it was the poor and the common people that came to him and heard him gladly. So, to be buried in a rich man's tomb would take something rather remarkable. But, here again, we turn to the New Testament, Matthew 27, from verse 57 to 60. Jesus has now committed his spirit to the Father. He's dead. And it says, as evening approached, there came a rich man, note those words, a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Thus fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy from seven to eight hundred years earlier, that he would specifically be buried in a rich man's tomb. He was assigned a grave with the rich in his death. Matthew's very careful to point out Joseph was a rich man and Jesus was buried in a tomb prepared by Joseph. So that concludes this little section of 27 specific predictions surrounding the betrayal, suffering, death, and burial of Jesus Christ all of which were fulfilled in one 24 hour period. But now we come to the final and most important part of all of messianic prophecy that He would rise from the dead. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, even if all these other prophecies were fulfilled, if Jesus spoke in parables and healed the sick and born of a virgin and walked on water and died on a cross, and did all of these things, he says very plainly there, if Christ is not risen, then we are still in our sins and our faith is vain. So the most important key prophecy of all is that Messiah would rise from the dead. And We saw earlier in this study that Jesus repeatedly claimed after three days in the grave he would rise again. He would lay down his life and he would take it up again and if there's no resurrection then Jesus is not the Messiah and we better go look somewhere else for help or hope or salvation but praise God He is risen from the dead. Now, let's look at one Old Testament prediction that is quoted in the New Testament as being fulfilled by Jesus in his resurrection Psalm 16, verses 8 to 11. Psalm 16, verses 8 to 11. I have set the Lord always before me. Because He is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad, and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure, because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Notice again verses 10 and 11 especially. You will not abandon me to the grave nor will you let your Holy One see decay. So very clearly it's predicted Messiah would not be left in a grave and He His body would not suffer decay as most mortals do when they are buried. Rather, you have made known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. So, he would rise to eternally be at the right hand of God, enjoying pleasures in the presence of the Father. Now let's turn to the New Testament and see how the apostles and New Testament believers connected this with Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 2 starting with verse 25, we'll read down to verse 32. And this is actually Peter preaching to the crowd on the day of Pentecost, and notice how he cites this same passage that we just read from Psalm 16. Picking it up in verse 25. David said about him, him meaning about Jesus, the Messiah, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Directly quoting what we just read, from Psalm 16. Now, notice how he turns this in verse 29. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. So in other words, this wasn't talking about David. David wrote it, but as a prophet, he's prophesying concerning someone else, namely the Messiah. I can confidently tell you, the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. Meaning, he was abandoned to the grave, and his body did suffer decay, as do all mortals when they die. Verse 30, But he was a prophet, and knew that God had promised him on oath, that he would place one of his descendants, remember, one of the qualities that had to be met in Messiah was he needed to be a descendant of David, a son of David from the line of David. God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Verse 31 leaves no doubt who Peter is referring to. Seeing what was ahead, he, that's David, spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. We've pointed out repeatedly in this study That in 1 Corinthians 15, we're told that in addition to the apostles, there were over 500 eyewitnesses that saw Jesus risen from the dead. Overwhelming testimony. In any court of law, overwhelming testimony that this is fact. Historical fact. Jesus of Nazareth was crucified, dead, buried, and on the third day He rose to life just as the Old Testament had predicted. And in John chapter 20, verse 9, it says, they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead and many more scriptures we could cite this is a very important point that is made over and over and over in the new testament paul devotes one whole chapter 58 verses in first corinthians chapter 15 just to the evidence the historical proof of jesus resurrection. He is indeed risen from the dead. This is the most important of all of the different messianic prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. If Christ be not risen, then we're still in our sins and our faith is vain but Christ is risen from the dead. Now, Two more points. After his resurrection, it was even prophesied that he would ascend back up on high. It's one thing to rise from the dead, but you'll remember when we looked at the claims of Jesus, he also claimed, I have come from my Father, and I'm going back to my Father. I came down from heaven and I'm going back to heaven. So, after His resurrection, I mentioned, He stayed on earth for another 40 days, appearing to the apostles, giving them many infallible, many convincing proofs that He was alive. Um, It's interesting, in the Spanish, it, it says, indubitable proofs that he was alive. In other words, there can be no doubt that he is alive. And he wanted every one of those disciples to come to a place where they had no doubt. And even so-called doubting Thomas, remember if I don't uh, put my hand into the nail marks and into his side, I won't believe. Well, Jesus could have cast off Thomas and said, tough luck, buddy. No, Jesus met him where he was and strengthened his faith, gave him evidence, gave him proof so that he could believe and move on. In my experience, God meets us where we are and He encourages our faith. He causes our faith to grow because He is the author and the finisher of our faith. So, it was one thing for Christ to rise, it was, however, also predicted that He would ascend back to heaven. This we read in Psalm 68, verses 17 to 18. Psalm 68, verses 17 to 18. The chariots of God are tens of thousands and thousands of thousands. The Lord has come from Sinai into His sanctuary. And listen carefully to verse 18, because you're going to hear it repeated almost verbatim by Paul in the New Testament. When you ascended on high, you led captives in your train. You received gifts from men even from the rebellious, that you, O Lord God, might dwell there. Now, turn to Ephesians 4, and we'll read verses 7 to 11. It says, But to each one of us grace has been given, as Christ apportioned it. That is why it says, and then he's quoting where we were just reading, in Psalm 68, verse 18. When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. reads a little differently. He gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. So Paul says very clearly that passage in Psalm sixty-eight eighteen about someone ascending on high It was indeed the Lord Jesus Christ. He ascended and gave gifts to men. Those gifts being these different ministries, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Lastly, it was prophesied that after his resurrection... And after his ascension, he would sit at the right hand of God. We've already seen a couple of verses that mention this, but let's look at one more very clear messianic prophecy that Jesus himself referred to in reference to himself. Psalm Psalm 110 is a messianic prophecy Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord is saying this to David's Lord. And in Matthew 22, Jesus brings us before the Pharisees to try to show them that David was talking about Jesus, his Lord. The son of David is is David's Lord, if that makes sense. And in Matthew 26, verse 64, Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied, but I say to all of you, in the future, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. And Mark 16, verse 19. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, He was taken up into heaven, that's His ascension, and He sat at the right hand of God. Many other verses on him being at the right hand of God, but I think everyone can look those up and you're familiar with those. Um, I have one more rather lengthy prophecy that I want to hold until next time. Some of you have um, looked at this prophecy with us in the past when we were studying end times but I think it kind of ties this whole segment together on prophecy and it also shows us that there's unfulfilled prophecy i.e. last days prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled and next time what we want to look at briefly is Daniel's prophecy concerning the 70th week. It's found in Daniel 9, verses 24 to 27. You might even want to look at that passage before next time if you're not familiar with it. To me, it is one of the most amazing prophecies in all of the Bible. And we'll try to take it line by line and look at Uh, some of the details in this prophecy, but it's both historical and still future. Much of what Daniel prophesied has already been fulfilled, but one important part of this prophecy is not yet fulfilled. And so we'll see that there's both history and future future contained in this short little prophecy, but powerful, profound prophecy that Daniel gave, again, hundreds of years ahead of time. There's no way he could have gotten a lucky guess on the kind of exact predictions that we're going to see next time in this prophecy. So, we'll... Pause there, and I believe next time will be our last uh, Bible study in this series on reasons to believe. Let's close in a word of prayer now. Father, in the name of Jesus, we are amazed at the overwhelming, evidence, infallible, un- doubtable, whatever words we can think of, convincing evidences and proofs that You, O oh God, are the true and the living God, that You sent Your Son, Jesus of Nazareth, into this world to be the Messiah, the hope of Israel, and the hope of all mankind. Lord, we believe and are certain that Jesus is the Son of God, declared to be the Son of God with power by His resurrection from the dead. And every detail concerning His birth, life, miracles, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and even sitting at your right hand was all scripted ahead of time so that when it came to pass, we could know for certain that Jesus is the Anointed One. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of the Living God. And Lord, I pray that as we are coming to the close of this Bible study, that Your Word, Lord, would be so strongly rooted and grounded in each one of our hearts that we would never doubt that Jesus is who He said He is, who He claimed to be. He is the Great I Am, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. Lord, thank you for all those that have joined us tonight by phone, by internet. We pray even for those that may listen in the future through recordings. Let the Holy Spirit bear witness with each and every heart that this is the truth. God we thank you for your Holy Spirit. You said he would lead us into all truth. He would reveal to us the things concerning your Son Jesus. So Holy Spirit work in each and every heart now and Lord bring deep conviction, deep and settled assurance into every one of our hearts, that Jesus is the Christ. God bless each one now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and Amen.